0: I was thankful for uh, the trip down to Florida. I spent uh, an extra day down there uh, just trying to rest a little bit and came back refreshed. And I thank the Lord for uh, that opportunity and the ability to um, spend a day there with my daughter and son-in-law and... um, appreciate Brother Dan filling in. Enjoyed the message Wednesday night. Boy, what a great message on Scripture memory. And uh, I hope and pray that if you weren't here and didn't uh, get that message, that you would listen to it. Some great principles there. uh, Both the reasons why we need to do it and some ways to do it. And uh, I really appreciate it so much. We're living in a day where Scripture memorization has oftentimes taken a back seat. And as we get older, uh, we seem to kind of abandon that and how important and how urgent it is that uh, we hide God's Word in our heart, that we can handle the Word of God skillfully, be able to use it and use it rightly. And uh, uh, I want to encourage you, if you were not here Wednesday night, to get that uh, online and listen to it. And I promise it will be a help to you. And I appreciate his willingness to step in there uh, uh, on uh, not too short a notice, but somewhat of a short notice, a few days' notice. And uh, certainly was a blessing uh, to be able to to have him do that. Luke chapter number 12, if you will. Luke chapter number 12. (coughs) We're going to begin in verse number 15. Luke chapter 12, in verse number 15. And he said unto them, Take heed and beware of covetousness, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall those things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself, and is not rich toward God. Father, we pray that you would bless the message and the truth of it. And I pray that you would help us to rightly understand your... Uh, the the, the meaning of this parable and the things that you would have for us to learn, may we take to heart and take heed to those things. May we put them into practice in our lives, uh, not only personally, but as we go about doing your work in the world that we live in today, may we have a clear understanding of what this passage is teaching us so that we might be able to be a help even to others. And so, Father, I pray for the next few moments your Holy Spirit will work In our hearts and guide and direct us, and Father, help us to rightly understand the times that we are living in, and the the urgency with which Your truth needs to be applied. Uh, I pray that You would guide and direct us in Jesus' name. We pray, Amen. We've read here a parable that the Lord Jesus Christ gave, and uh, I'm going to preach on uh, what is not said. And I think the principle of this passage is found, really, in what is not said so much here. Uh, we find that this man is a very wealthy man. In fact, the Bible speaks to the fact that he's a rich man in verse number 16. I do believe that uh, this is a, a uh, story that probably is based on someone that is uh, a person that Christ knew in his earthly ministry because... Uh, he speaks of the fact that it was a certain rich man, not just a rich man in general. Um, could be that he's just making the story and just laying the parable alongside the truth. But it very well could easily fit um, the mindset of someone that was living in that day and age. And the truth is, we're living in a day and age where people uh, do not give a whole lot of thought, do they? About the things of uh, that are beyond this life. And if you'll take a look at this passage, you'll find that the biggest problem this man had was that his focus was on what was going to take place in this life, and there was very little, if any, focus. In fact, we have no indication. God even calls him a fool because of this. We have no indication that the man thought of anything after this life. We're living in such a time. We're living in a day where... It seems like the biggest problem we have in dealing with those that are lost and teaching them uh, the things of the Bible is that they have no idea of life after this life. In fact, many of them don't believe that there is life after this life. It's amazing to me how many people deny God's existence. They uh, They don't have anything to do with the things... Of God's Word. They don't take His Word as an authority. It's amazing as I read some of the things from the 1700s and 1800s, even in the early founding of our country, how many people who were not even saved but yet at least had a high regard for God's Word being the Word of God. Uh, They may not have believed it. They may not have held to it, but they still believed that it was God's Word. We're living in a time where there is uh, certainly a, a A multitude of people, a majority of people in our country, uh, you say, well, where are they? (laughs) If you walk and knock on ten doors down your street, you'll probably find nine of them that don't have anything to do with the things of the Lord. Uh, You might uh, find yourself very fortunate and live on the street. I know when I was in Florida and lived down there, um, anybody that wanted to break into some houses in our neighborhood knew to come on Sunday morning because our entire cul-de-sac were people that were involved in ministry. Uh, but that's very unusual. You don't normally find that. There was a, a man a number of years ago uh, that uh, went to a, a barbershop. In fact, I went to. I, I worked at a, a place where I had a, a friend of mine that said, I don't go to church. And I was talking with him one day, and uh, he, I, he said, You know why I don't go to church? And he said, Because there's so many hypocrites there. <laughs> and I said, Well, that's the truth, because none of us are what we claim we ought to be or what we want to be. None of us measure up with God's Word exactly. Uh, But I asked him this question. I said, isn't that where you want them? Uh, I mean, you, you don't want the hypocrites out here just being hypocritical. You want them to be someplace where they can get some help, where they can at least learn of their hypocrisy and try to do something about it, try to make things better, try to live a life. A man, a number of years ago, I heard the story that went to a barber shop, and uh, this fellow that was, uh, the, the customer was a Christian fella. and somehow, you know how it is in barber shops, those of you that are men here, you understand that you, you talk about things, they, they, you, you kind of chat and, and talk about things, and somehow the conversation turned towards the things of God, and the barber made the comment, he said, I don't believe in God. And the customer, not wanting to, to, to argue with him and debate with him right there in the chair, he didn't say a whole lot, but he did ask him why, he said, why do you not believe in God? And the barber said this, and it'll sound familiar to you because I've heard this before, and I know that many other folks have heard this before. Uh, they asked him, why don't you believe in God? And he said, well, go out in the street. He said, you find uh, all these uh, problems in the world. He said, you find people that are mean to each other and hate, hate each other, and uh, children that are suffering and hungry, and you find all of these problems that are, that are out here in the world. And he says, I, I just don't believe there's a God because there's all this stuff out in the world that just doesn't make any sense to me uh, why why uh, there would be a God if all of this suffering and all of this wrong and all of this evil is in the world. The customer didn't say anything and he finished his, uh, his uh, haircut and he went out into the street and as he was going down the sidewalk, he saw a fellow that had a long scraggly beard and long hair and an idea occurred to him. He turned around he walked back into the barber shop and he told the barber, he said, I was just out in the street. And he said, I just found out something. He said, there obviously are no barbers in the world today. The barber said, what are you talking about? He said, I'm right here. He said, I, I, I he said, I was just out in the street. He said, I saw a man that had long hair and it was all scraggly and didn't get trimmed. And he said, well, that's not my fault. That's because the man didn't come in to where I'm at. And the fellow said, exactly. He said, just because there's evil in the world doesn't mean there's not a God. It just means there are a lot of people who have never turned to Him. A lot of people who have never made a decision to put their faith and their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. We're living in a world where people are denying the existence of God. It's not that there is no God, it's that they've refused to turn their hearts to Him. In the passage that we've read today, this parable that the Lord tells, this man who is rich and he's got a lot of money, and the only concern, the only thought in his heart was, what can I do in this life to make my life easier? He said, I'm going to tear down my old barns, and I'm going to build bigger barns so I can put all the stuff I have in it. He said, then I'm going to take my ease. I'm going to eat, and I'm going to drink, and I'm going to be merry, and I'm going to enjoy life. And he never took thought. Of eternity. And God said, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then whose shall those things be which thou hast provided? There are three things that this man did not see. I'm going to give you three things that are not mentioned in this passage because the man did not learn them that I think are critical. Not only for us to understand and make sure that we know them, but when we go out into this world and we share the gospel with somebody, we try to share the the truth of God's Word, there are three things, I think, very distinct things that we do not find in this passage that are critical that men understand in order to have eternity in mind. The first one is that they are spiritually dead and lost in their sin. Turn with me, if you will, uh, to the book of Colossians, chapter number 2. You know, there are so many people that uh, are living life. I was talking with somebody just a week ago, uh, and uh, their comment to me was, we only have one life. We want to live it up and enjoy it. And I I think that God certainly created this world for us. Uh, I think He gave it to us to enjoy. There are things in this world we can enjoy. I'm not against enjoying things. But if our sole concern is on our pleasure and our enjoyment, and we never give thought to the things of, the, of eternity, then there is a problem there. We're living in a day where men are so given to pleasure... They're so given to entertainment, they can't wait for the weekend to go to the lake and, uh, and uh, to, to do the boating and the, the fishing and uh, the sunshine, or they can't wait to, to go to the amusement parks with their family or their kids, or they can't uh, wait for the next big entertainment thing that they can do in their life. And they never give thought to the things of eternity. That's because there are some things missing in their life. And the first thing I think that men must be able to see, and by the way, we must be able to see it in our lives. And if we have not seen these things, then we need to see them today and get a, uh, make a decision for the Lord today in this matter. There are three things that men must understand. Number one is, they are already spiritually dead and lost in their sin. Men need to come to that understanding. Uh, we have people living life today, thinking that they are living life to the fullest, and not realizing that they are dead. Notice in Colossians chapter number two, and let's look in verse number thirteen. <clears throat> Paul writes this, and you, being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. There is an understanding that men. <coughs> Excuse me, are dead in their sin that men need to come to a realization of. They need to think of this thing. Uh, it's amazing to me as I've read uh, the conversions of some of the uh, men and women that we look up to uh, that uh, were from the 1700s and 1800s. And it's amazing to me how many of them at a young age understood from Scripture their lost and undone condition. It's amazing to me how many of them would agonize over this with conviction weighing heavy upon their hearts that they were lost and they were undone in their sin. Look in Ephesians chapter number 2. Ephesians chapter number 2. The Bible says in verse number 1, "...and you hath he quickened who were what? Dead in trespasses and sins." Wherein in times past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. Who's that? That's Satan, isn't it? The Spirit that now worketh in the children of what? Disobedience. Among whom also we all had our conversation in times past, in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of what? Wrath, even as others. One of the key things that man must come to a realization of is this that in our natural state, the way that we are born, we are lost and on our way to hell. there's a, there, There's a reality that men must come to in understanding this. Look with me in Romans chapter number three, Romans chapter number three, a very familiar passage. And I know this is a Sunday morning crowd, but if we don't have this matter settled, it needs to be settled. And if we do have it settled, we need to understand these three things that men must come to a realization of. They need to be shown these things. Romans chapter number three and verse number ten, the Bible says, As it is written, there is, what's the next word here? None righteous, no, not one. Brother Kevin mentioned earlier in Sunday school this morning about having the opportunity of someone that has a Catholic background. What is the difference between a Christian and a Catholic? The truth of the matter is it boils down to one very simple thing. Works or faith. Over and over again, you will find as you look at the religions of the world, they will fall into one of those two categories. Either I am working my way to heaven and earning it for myself, or I am trusting Christ by faith and faith alone. By the way, the two don't mix. You can't be trusting Christ to save your soul if you're working and laboring on it yourself. The Bible tells us here in Romans chapter number 3 that there is none righteous. No, not one. If we're expecting our good deeds to get us to heaven, the Bible says there are none of you that fit this. Look what it says as we read on down and verse number 11. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are altogether become unprofitable. There is none that doeth what? <clears throat> Good. No, not... One, lest we sit here and say, well, I'm the exception. Maybe nobody else does good, but I do good. And I do enough good that God will let me into heaven. That is works. And the Bible says you're not going to make it. The reality of not knowing that we are lost and undone in our sin, that we are dead in our trespasses and sin. If we do not have that understanding, we do not understand the reality of the situation that there is not enough good I can do to make it to heaven, then we're going to be destined to have people who say, I'll make it by doing good. We're going to have people all over the world that are going to say, well, I live a pretty good life. If you ask most people, if you were to ask them this question, how would you tell someone how to go to heaven? They would say, well, I tell them they need to live a good life. You know how many times I've heard that? the vast majority of the times i've asked a question along those lines well i try to live good i try to do what's right the bible says there is none that doeth good no not one there's not even one person that doeth good men need to come to the reality you say brother uh, brother greg that's harsh that's that's hard and i understand right off the bat, when you talk to somebody, you don't want to start up. (laughs) I remember a friend of mine, Tim Butner, years ago, right after he got saved, went on a soul winning visitation. The very next week, went out to tell somebody about the Lord and my dad took him with him in the car. They went and made a visit and my dad gave the plan of salvation. And the folks were very kind, but they they didn't trust Christ as their Savior that night. And as they were walking back out to the car, Tim had been real good. He hadn't said anything all night. He was being the silent partner and as they got out of the car, he's just getting ready to open the door. And he turns around he looks at the people and he said, i got one thing to say. You lie, you fry, he said. <laughs> and and uh, that's harsh. Okay, I understand that. But folks, I'm telling you this. When we deal with people, if they don't come to the realization that they are lost, they cannot be saved. There has to be an understanding that I am lost and I am dead in my sins. There is a reality that must be faced. We can't, we can't brush it under the carpet. We can't sugarcoat it. We can't say, well, uh, you, you could probably do better in life, and then, then let's try to do... You've got to let them know there's not enough good they can do. There's a reality of this, that they are lost and undone. They need to set, They need to also understand the reality and the result that takes place from not understanding this. They need to know that, hey, you know there's people out there, and I used that illustration of the barber a few moments ago, there are people out there that say, you know what, I'm going to live my way the way I want to, and I've heard this phrase used before, some of my friends are there, and when we get there, we're going to have a party. Can I tell you this? People need to understand the results of such thinking. Look with me, if you will, in Luke chapter number 16. A very vivid picture, if you will, that Christ gives. In Luke chapter number 15, we see here the story of the rich man and Lazarus. In verse, um, I'm sorry, did I say 15? I meant uh, Luke 16, I'm sorry. Did I say 15? I'm less dexic today for some reason. And was buried. The next statement ought to send chills up and down the backs of every Christian in here. And in hell, he lift up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water, and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember thou in thy lifetime, receivest thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. In verse 25, we find a similar attitude. We find a man that when he was on this earth, all he could think about was his physical comfort in this life. And gave no thought for eternity, and now here is the result of this. Men need to understand first that they are lost and undone; they are dead in their trespasses and sin. They need to also understand the result of that. They need to understand the result of this. And they need to understand that hell is not some some uh, psychological uh, uh, mindset of a place; it is a reality. It is a place of literal torment. There are specifics that are given in this passage of Scripture that indicate the reality of this and not that this is some kind of a metaphor or some kind of a simile or some kind of a a, a picture that is given. This is a a literal account of a man who over 2,000 years ago died in his went to hell. And the Bible teaches us this. And if the Bible teaches us, we believe what the Bible teaches us on this, that man is still there today, 2,000 years later. Still in torment. Why? Because in this life, he did not realize that he was lost and undone in his sin. He never gave thought to it. He never had the understanding of what the consequences of a life like that would be. We're living in a world where people need to know the truth of this. And they need to understand the result of it. I heard somebody years ago say you can make your own choice, but you cannot choose the consequences of that choice. You must live with it. Notice, number two, the second thing we, only, we need to know, not only are we spiritually dead and lost in our sin, but number two, there is no way to save ourselves from it. There is no way for us to save ourselves from it. Look in Romans chapter number 3 and verse number 20. Romans chapter number 3 and verse number 20. Three things that people need to know, men need to know. They, 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 we don't want them to be like this rich man. We don't want them to say, well, life is good. I'm okay. I'm set in my ways, and I like the way my life is. We want them to understand some things. We need them to understand, first of all, that they are lost. They are spiritually dead and lost in their sin. Number two, they need to understand that there is no way. Once they come to that realization, once they realize, I am lost, and the result of that is a death and hell, then they need to also secondly understand there is nothing they can do to save themselves. There is nothing they can do to save themselves. Romans chapter 3, verse number 20. Paul writes this, he says, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin if we were to keep the Ten Commandments and the other 600 and however many more commandments there are that are given in Scripture in every point for our entire life and never offend not even one of the laws, we would still not be justified in His sight. Paul said, "...in the keeping of the law shall no flesh... Be justified. Look also with me in Galatians chapter number 2. Galatians chapter number 2. Folks, I'm being as clear as I can on salvation this morning. People need to know these things in order to be saved. Galatians chapter 2 and verse number 16. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law but by the faith of Jesus Christ. And here we find in one verse the entire debate between those that are trusting Christ as their Savior, those that are believers, those that will be saved, those that will spend an eternity in heaven, and those that maybe are very religious in their practices, but are trusting their works. I had a very dear... A neighbor of mine, his name was Danny Noga. While I was growing up, dear friend of ours, he was raised, staunch Catholic. He was Polish and had migrated, uh, had come over uh, to the United States as a young child and uh, had a strong, strong Catholic background. I remember over the years my dad speaking to him numerous times out at the fence and talking and sharing the plan of salvation and trying to understand that it was not by his works. As far as I know, he never trusted Christ as his Savior. I remember when he died, they had the funeral at the Catholic church there in town. It was the first time I'd ever been in a Catholic church. Our family went to support their family to try to be a help and a comfort to them. I was listening as a young man, probably 10, 12 years old, as the priest or whoever it was in the front was giving the, the funeral service. And his comment was this, we know that our brother is in heaven today because every time somebody needed a ride to the airport, he gave them one. He went on to list all of the merits of my neighbor and how he was a kind man, a generous man, a man who thought of others. And the truth is, they were confident that he was in heaven because of his works. And yet the Bible teaches us differently than that. The Bible tells us this, knowing that a man, not thinking, not supposing, this isn't something up for debate, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. Folks, people need to know, number one, that they are dead in their sin. They are lost. They need to know the reality of it, and they need to understand the result of it. They need to know, secondly, there is no way that they can do anything to save themselves. Look with me also in Mark chapter number 10. Mark chapter number 10. And by the way, I haven't copyrighted any of this. These verses are in Scripture. You can find them anywhere you like in there. And you're welcome to use them. In fact, I would encourage you to. Mark chapter number 10 and verse number 17. And when he was gone forth in the way, there came one running and kneeled to him and asked him, Good Master, what shall I do? Notice that phrase. What shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? You're going to find out here in just a moment this was a rich young man. He thought he could do something and receive an inheritance for it. And Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. Thou knowest the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness, defraud not, honor thy father and mother. And he said unto him, Master, all these have I observed from my youth. In other words, he was saying, I've kept them all. Now, in reality, do we really believe that? No. The Bible says if a man say he's not a liar, he is a liar. If it says he has not sin, he is a liar, and the truth is not in him. If we, have no, if we say we have no sin, he certainly, I believe, made an attempt to keep those things. probably had a sincere heart to do so. But I guarantee you he was not successful in every point. And he answered and said unto him, Master, all these have I observed from my youth. Then Jesus, beholding him, loved him. By the way, that ought always be our response to those that are lost. You say, Pastor, you don't know how bad of a sinner that person is. No, but God does. And He was still willing to send His Son to die for them. Just as much as He was willing to send Him to die for you. And Jesus, beholding him, loved him, and said unto him, One thing thou lackest. Now, don't get tripped up by that statement. He's not saying if you'll do one more thing, you'll be saved, and then giving him that thing to give to the poor. He says, One thing thou lackest. We're going to see what that one thing was in just a minute. Go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast, and give to the poor. Thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come, take up the cross, and follow me. And he was sad at the saying, and went away grieved, for he had great possessions. Christ is not telling this young man that if he would sell everything and give it to the poor, that that would be good enough to get him into heaven. That good deed would be enough to get him into heaven. You say, how do you know that? Because Christ explains it further. And Jesus looked round about and saith unto his disciples, How hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? And the disciples were astonished at his words. Now, by the way, it's not the fact that he had the riches that made it hard for him to get to heaven. It was the fact that he was trusting his riches. You say, how do you know that? Because Christ tells us. (laughs) Aren't you glad when he tells us? Notice what Jesus said. But Jesus answereth again, and saith unto them, Children, how hard it is for them that what? Trust in riches. There it is. It wasn't that he had riches. not anything wrong with having riches. But if that's what we're trusting to get ourselves to heaven, if we're trusting our philanthropy to get us to heaven, that's our works. If we're trusting the fact that we're generous and we're helpful with the riches that we have to treat others nice, to give to the poor, Christ is saying, you're trusting riches. That's not going to do it. Children, how hard it is for them that trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. By that phrase, and I've heard preachers preach on this, and they've taken this verse so far out of context. He is not talking about how difficult it is. He is talking about how impossible it is. It's not difficult for a man who's rich Trusting his riches to get to heaven, it's impossible. You say, how do you know that he's not talking about the difficulty of it? He says it's easier, isn't that difficulty? Well, he tells us. All we got to do is read a little further, and they were astonished out of measure, saying, "Who saying among themselves, who then can be saved?" And Jesus, looking upon them, said, "With men it is what impossible. It's impossible." Man cannot save man. Whether you're trying to save someone else or whether you try to save yourself, man cannot do it. It's not difficult for man. It's impossible for man. That's what the Bible says. With men, it is what? Impossible, but not with God. For with God, All things are possible. Two things so far that we've talked about out of the three that men must understand. Number one, we are dead in our sin and lost. We need to understand the reality of it and what result comes from that. Having that in our minds and knowing that to be true. Secondly, we need to understand we cannot do anything to save ourselves. We can't escape it on our own. I cannot do enough good to make it to heaven. The third thing that we need to know, and man must know in order to be saved, is that only by faith in what Jesus did for us on Calvary, with His death, His burial, and His resurrection from the dead, Only by putting our faith in what He has already done for us can we be forgiven of our sin and escape the punishment for that sin. That's the only way. John chapter 14, if you will. Again, don't take my word for it. Let's let's see what God has to say about it. John chapter number 14. And verse number 6. Jesus... Uh, saith unto him, verse number 6, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. There's only one way. And that is through the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't listen to Oprah when she says all roads lead to Christ. Don't listen to Joel Osteen. When he said, it doesn't matter what you believe, just that you believe. Can I tell you this? It matters very greatly what we believe. It matters life and death what we believe. It matters eternity in heaven or eternity in hell what we believe. He said, Pastor, that's narrow. That's what Jesus said. He said, narrow is the way that leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. You say, well, you're being too too narrow minded. Do you believe that only Baptists are going to be in heaven? No. But I do believe only people who put their faith in Christ and His finished work on Calvary and nothing else are going to be the ones in heaven. You say, well, you can call them by any name you want to call them by. It's not about a denomination, it's not about a church membership. It's not about following the the practices and the procedures of that church. It's about, have I put my faith in the finished work of Christ on Calvary to pay for my sin? Am I trusting that for my salvation and not my works? It's that simple. Boy, it's so simple. So easy, as long as we understand and know these truths from Scripture. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father, but by me. There is no other way. There's not multiple ways to come to the Father. There's one and one alone. And that is through the finished work of Christ on Calvary. It is finished. You say, how do you know it's finished? Because Jesus said it was on Calvary. Right before He gave up the ghost, He said... It is finished. It's done. The price has been paid. By the way, once for all. Christ doesn't die again. He doesn't experience the wounds again every time we sin. He was a perfect sacrifice that only had to be sacrificed once. There was a song a number of years ago a Christian person wrote, and I I understand their, their question and their gist of their song. And the song is, Does he still feel the nails every time I fail? Does he hear the crowd cry, Crucify again? The answer is no, he died once for all. You say, What about the sins that I commit after I'm saved? Those are future sins. Every sin at Calvary was future sin for us. All of us were future. We're saved once for all. Notice in John chapter 3, if you will, very familiar passage. Many of you can quote this. John chapter number 3. Let's see what the Bible says here. Verse number 15. That whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. Now, where in that verse do we find works? It says, for whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. I don't find in there whosoever shall keep the law. Whosoever shall join a church, whosoever shall be baptized, I don't see any of that in there. I find one requirement, and that is to believe in Him. Now, you say, well, you're only taking one verse. Okay, let's read the rest of it. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Where in verse 16 do we find works? We don't find it, do we? For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. How, are the, how is the world saved? Through our works? Through our church membership? According to verse 17, is through Him. Verse 18, He that believeth on Him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Where do we find works in there? We don't find them the simplicity of the Gospel message, the difference between those that will get to heaven and those that won't get to heaven is this. I'm either trusting what I can do or I'm trusting what Christ has done. It's that simple. You say, I've got people from other denominations that ask me how to be saved. What do I tell them? It's that simple. It's either faith or works. It's got to be one or the other, and the Bible tells us it's just the one. It's by faith alone. Martin Luther, who was a devout Catholic at the time, was doing something that was rather unusual in that day. He had already studied for ministry, and he was reading Scripture. Can you imagine that? somebody that was a religious leader, that it would be unusual for them to read Scripture. And yet, that's what he was doing. It was very unusual in that time period. In fact, he got ridiculed by some of his peers for reading and studying Scripture. He was reading in the book of Romans. And he came across a verse of Scripture that said, the just shall live by faith. And that stuck in his mind. And he could not forget it. And he thought on it, and he thought on it, and he thought on it. And all of a sudden the light bulb turned on and he realized all of these works that we're requiring of people, they don't save us. The just shall live by faith. That's how we gain life. Those of us that are dead in sins, which is all of us at some point in our life, the only way we can be made alive, the only way that we can gain life is by faith, not by our works, by faith. Let's look in John chapter number 6. The Bible is not vague about this. You You know, the entirety of Scripture points men to the way of salvation. It's what it's given for. Now, I'm thankful it tells us how to live once we are saved, But everything in Scripture points to one supreme thought, and that is that man is in need of a Savior, and Jesus is it. Look with me in John chapter number 6 and verse number 47. Verily, verily, I say unto you. The word verily is an old word that meant truly or surely or rightly. You can mark this one down. If we said it today, we could, we would use the phrase in the modern vernacular, you can take this to the bank, alright? You can, this is, this is secure. In fact, the word verily is so much more even beyond that phrase. This is something that is ironclad. Verily, verily, I say unto you. He that believeth on me hath everlasting life. Where is works in that? It's not there, is it? Well, you've got to be baptized. No, you don't. Baptism is a step of growth in the Christian life. It's an open testimony to what we've done in our hearts to get saved. But it doesn't save us. If you get baptized and you expect that to get you to heaven, all you did was rise a wet sinner and you're still going to hell. I'm not trying to be ugly or, or sarcastic about it, but if that's what we're trusting, we're not going to make it. You say, well, Pastor, do you believe everybody has to be a member of Keith Ice Baptist Church? No. No, I certainly don't believe that. I think there are people all over the world that can go to heaven. Do you believe they have to be a member of a good, solid Baptist church? No. I think you ought to be. I think it helps you in your Christian growth. But you don't have to be to be saved. You say, what do you have to do to be saved? Put your faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. That's all you do. I'm trusting that to take me to heaven. I'm trusting Him to forgive me of my sin. I'm trusting Him to cover me with His own blood. That's all I'm trusting. Not my works. Not my baptism. Not my good deeds. Him and Him alone. Look in John chapter 11. John chapter 11. I want to make sure when we're done with this sermon, there is no doubt that it is not by works. It is simply by faith. And the Bible leaves no doubt for it. Look with me if you will. And by the way, do you know that even though the Catholic version of Scripture has changed a lot of verses compared to our King James Version, do you know salvation by faith is still found in the Catholic Bible? Do you know that even saying that it is not by works is still found in the Catholic Bible? You say, well, why don't they understand it? Because they're not encouraged to look into the Bible. They're not encouraged to look into Scripture for the answer. They listen to the people that teach them. I'm not just picking on Catholics today. I love Catholics. I love the people that are in that, that uh, ministry because I have such a heart to see them understand the truth. Very important that we understand and know these things so that we can help share these with others. Look with me, if you will, in John chapter 11, verse 25. Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in Me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Whosoever liveth and believeth in Me shall never die. Believest thou this? Where is works in there? I don't see it. I don't see it. He that liveth, notice, he says that that, uh, he that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Promise of eternal security by our works, no. By our faith. By our trusting him. Look in Acts chapter number ten. Acts 10, verse number 36. Acts chapter 10, verse number 36. The Word which God sent unto the children of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all, by the way, and I love that. That Word, I say, you know which was published throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism of John preached... "...how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him, and we are witnesses of all things which he did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they slew and hanged on a tree. Him God raised up the third day and showed him openly, not to all the people, but unto, the, unto witnesses chosen before of God, even to us who did eat and drink with Him after He rose from the dead. And He commanded us to preach unto the people, to testify that it is He which was ordained of God to be the judge of quick and dead. To Him gave all the prophets witness, notice this, that through His name, whosoever believeth in Him shall receive remission of sins. Where is works in that? Not there. The death, the burial, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, and us believing in it, is what gives the remission of sins. Look in Romans chapter four. We'll be done. This is our last one. I want you to notice. And by the way, we go on and on. We can spend the afternoon doing this with Scripture because it's all over. Romans chapter four, verse number five. Romans chapter 4, verse number 5. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. If I want to stand righteous before God one day, it's not going to be me counting on my works. It's going to be my trusting in Him. My faith in Him and Him alone. Folks, we're living in a world where people do not even believe God exists, there are three things they need to know. They need to know that they are dead in their sin. They're condemned already. They do not have to do anything to die and go to hell. They need to know that. They need to understand the reality of it. They need to understand what the result of it is. The second thing they need to know is that there is nothing they can do to save themselves. They cannot. Folks, if people do not understand this, they cannot be saved. They will be trusting what they do in order to be saved. And the Bible says, by the works of the law shall no man be justified. And then thirdly, they need to know that it is only by putting their faith In the finished work of what Christ did on Calvary, His death, His burial, His resurrection, it's only by putting their faith in this that they can be forgiven of their sin and be justified before God. It's that simple, folks. It's not complicated. And it's very, very clear in Scripture. It's not one of those things that we look at and we scratch our heads and we say, I wonder how somebody goes to heaven. I know we're preaching to the Sunday morning crowd here. I understand that. But I want to encourage that if there's anybody here that wonders if they're trusting Christ as their Savior, I don't know if I've trusted Him as my Savior. I've, I go to church. I've been in church my whole life, and I just believe that I'm saved because of that. Then, my friend, you're not saved. I belong to the Baptist faith because that's how I was raised, and I'm going to heaven because I've been in church my whole life then you're not going to heaven because of that. Well, I got baptized at a young age. I was in Sunday school. I've taught Sunday school. I've sang in the choir. I've played the piano. If that's what we're trusting, then we're not going to make it to heaven. It is not by our works. It is strictly by our faith. If you're here this morning, you've never trusted Christ your Savior, maybe you've been in church a long, long time, and you just think that I'm saved because I've always thought I've been saved. Then can I encourage you today, you need to get that matter settled today. If you are saved and you have confidence in that, and you say, yes, absolutely, Pastor, I know that I know that I know because I have put my faith in Christ and I am unshakable on that. I know that I'm saved. Then we need to make sure that when we talk to others about Christ, they understand those three things. I get so tired sometimes of watching people that talk to someone about Christ and lead them in a prayer and those people have no understanding. They do not know these three things that they must know. They must be assured of. Make sure that as we tell others about Christ, we're able to bring these things to point that they can understand and they can know that they're saved and on their way to heaven, not by their works, not by praying a prayer, but by putting their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's stand together, shall we, with heads bowed. Father, we pray that You'll take Your Word and use it today. Lord, I've tried to be as clear as it's possible to be from Your Word, and I know this is our our church, our group here. I don't know who needed this today. Perhaps there is someone in the room that maybe has just always been in church since the time they were a kid. They've just always assumed that they were saved because of uh, all their church membership and all they've done over the years. Maybe there's not been that moment of decision in their life where they have put their faith in You and trusted You wholly, completely, not anything else. Father, maybe it's the fact that we just need to be reminded as we go out into this world, these folks that need to hear the Gospel so clearly, May we be reminded of the things that we must bring to point, things that they must understand and know in order to be saved. I pray that You'd help us to be good stewards of the gospel that You've entrusted to us. be busy doing the work You've given us to do, to look for the opportunities You've given for us to share with others. Bless the invitation and use it as You would see fit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. With heads bowed, please, and eyes closed. We'll have the piano play through a verse of invitation. If God's spoken to you, the altars are open. If you're here today and you say, I don't know if I've trusted Christ as my Savior, uh, don't be embarrassed. I don't care if you've been in church 20, 30, 40 years. If you can't say that confidently today, there's not a single person in this room that would want to embarrass you, but they would rejoice that you got the matter settled today. If everyone here today is saved and on their way to heaven, then can I encourage us in this? to hold fast to these truths so that we know how to...